0: Go go, go, go,
1: To the next installment of the Yummy Coco Show. This is a pop culture variety show for your ear holes with sketches, music, interviews, and games. I'm your host, Yummy Coco, aka Colette Prosper. I am a comedy writer and filmmaker. I uh talk about everything from Pete Davidson gets a show that's uh going straight to series, and it's gonna be called Bubkiss. Last OG was canceled. Uh, Lots of stuff in the news. My guest today is Hillier Guess. He is uh, a writer, director, producer, podcaster. He hosts also, he has his own show, Screenwriters Rant Room, which I was just a guest on two weeks ago. And he also uh, interviews, uh, he's also a host on Third and Fairfax, which is the Writers Guild of America's, um, uh podcast anyway he's wonderful you'll meet him in the meantime if you like the show please give it five stars it's how people can find the show we'll kick things off with a sketch it's called elon musk and leah michelle's spring awakening sketch Elon Musk, it's me, Leah Michelle. Oh yes. Ugh, I can't believe we have to wait this long for a CVS person to open the deodorant display case. This is ridiculous.
0: Yes, I don't like that some CVS employee holds all the power of the deodorant display case.
1: I know, I can hear you're mad, even through your robotic delivery. I'm
0: the richest man in the world.
1: Yeah, you are.
0: I want that power. And
1: you should have it. You should totally buy the key then. Buy
0: the CVS deodorant display case key?
1: Yeah. Totally.
0: I like that and then I would have the power to get any antiperspirant that I want to. Haha.
1: Yeah, Elon Musk. Think about it. All the secret Mitchum, Dove and degree deodorants could totally be yours.
0: That is fun, Leah Michelle. I'll make it private too.
1: Yeah, Elon Musk.
0: I love that for me. I love control. I love power.
1: Yes. It's about taking control of the situation like what you did by buying twitter or like what i did when i showed jonathan groff my vagina
0: uh leah michelle i don't see the connection
1: well let me explain as you know my gay best friend oh
0: yes jonathan groff from glee
1: and don't forget spring awakening starring me
0: yes and i love frozen
1: yeah elon musk let it go haha I'm talking.
0: Okay, keep talking. Thank
1: you. Anyway, Jonathan Groff might have said something in passing like, as if I've never seen a vagina before. So I just took out my desk lamp, whipped out my lady parts, and I gave him an illustrative lesson that satisfied his curiosity of the female anatomy. You're welcome. Oh,
0: I didn't know he was curious.
1: But that's my point, Elon. He didn't need to say if he was curious or say if it made him like uncomfortable or whatever i saw a moment i got in there
0: and you made it about you
1: that's right i made it about me
0: oh ah, yes and with twitter i spent way too much money on a company that is declining in value with low new user acquisition and has the worst ad platform of any social media app
1: yeah and you made it about you
0: yes i made it about it's
1: so great Say, Elon Musk? Oh, yes. Now that you, uh, you know, are about to own a CBS display key, do you want to see my vagina? I brought my desk lamp. No,
0: thanks, Leah Michelle. I'm about to own a display case key, and I want to tweet about it on my Twitter.
1: Oh, just take a second. Just hold still.
0: Oh, no. Oh, please put that away, Leah Michelle.
1: But here. No, look. Oh,
0: no. Um,. I'm well aware of vaginas, thank you. Now I need to go own a CVS key.
1: Where are you going? You
0: made it about Julia, Michelle. Stop! I want to tweet about it on my Twitter. My Twitter. My Twitter. My Twitter. My Twitter. Twitter.
1: But I need it to make it about me now. No thanks. (laughs) But it's my spring awakening. And we're back. Awesome. Let's get into my talk with writer, director, producer, podcaster Hilliard Guess. Hey, Hilliard. <laughs> Welcome. This is amazing. You are joining this podcast for the first time. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Appreciate it. Appreciate
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you've worked on many, many projects, including Deadly Class. And now Ticker, I want to talk to you about that. Mm-hmm. You're also the host of hit podcast, Screenwriter's Rant Room, one of my favorites. Also, you're one of the hosts of Third and Fairfax. I've I've interviewed um, Josephine Green-Shang in mm-hmm. the past also. Um, you're co-chair of WGA West Committee of Black Writers. I want to talk to you about that. Right. You're a legend. This is a treat. Like Jay-Z, <laughs> you're not a businessman. You're a business Man, Man.
3: (laughs) I want to talk to you about
1: investing in yourself, because as a writer, director, producer, podcaster, you're also a small business. Yes. So we'll get into that. Um, But before we do, can I ask you an icebreaker question? Sure, sure. So if you were given superpower, like for the summer, uh, which one would it be? Teleportation, invisibility, or flying?
2: Oh, that's all I get? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because I have a superpower that I love. Okay. I wish I had. Um, all right. Can I, can I tell you what that one is? Yeah. You gonna, gonna think I'm crazy though when I tell you?
1: Yeah, but you only get it for the summer though.
2: It's okay. I'll t- that's all I need. I need okay. about three months. Okay. All <laughs> and right. I'll rule the world, Pinky. Nice. Pinky. <laughs> nice. I want. I want mind control. Oh. Yeah.
1: What would you do with that? With that kind of power. I would, I would
2: do a lot. <laughs> I'd be <Yeah>. running Hollywood.
1: <laughs> That's like um
2: and I'm the thinking of the
1: professor like Magneto or something. Yes, exactly. Wow. If,
2: if you have professor control. X. Just uh-huh. think about this. Think about this yes. really quick. This is yeah. this alone. If you had say let's say you're single, and you had a crush on somebody. Uh-huh. You could control them to be in your life now. Yeah. You, you make know? them love you. <clears throat> Somebody lives in a big house that you love. They drive a car you love. They sign it over to you. Yes. You know, or, just all kind of shit.
1: Yeah. And then also like a big film company, they have yep. oodles of money. And then they're just like, here, here are oodles of money for you to make projects. Bam. Yeah. And and then you're just like, oh, for me. And, and it's all part of the, the mind control. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would fly so I could visit my family on the east coast and not have to risk my life because there are no (laughs) masks anymore. So, you know, that would be nice if I could Mm -hmm. just swoop in like that. So, this is amazing. I was recently featured on Screenwriter's Rant Room. Um, a couple of members of Tribe, um, Amy Aniobi's talent incubator were also featured, Trina Jasmine. Uh, we talked to you about being emerging writers.
3: Mm-hmm. One
1: thing that I realized during our talk is that success comes as a result of taking care of yourself, mm. which is hard but important work. From my right. vantage point, it looks like you not only invest in yourself career-wise, but also emotionally, physically, spiritually, which is the best thing one could ever do. So with that in mind, like what's a week in the life of Hilliard Guess?
2: It's funny. Um, uh, my husband and I were just talking about this yesterday. I'm uh-huh. such a creature of habit. Yeah. <clears throat> I told you I do the same thing literally every day.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: By by, usually by 10:30, I've I've already h- taken a shower because I don't mm-hmm. get up to like nine. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, I've already taken a shower. You know, taking the girls out or whatever, fed them. Um, the girls
4: are your your dogs. Our dogs.
2: They're our puppies. Okay. They're dogs. We uh-huh. call we call them, them puppies because they're small. Yeah, and um, Malibu and Venice are the names. Nice, <laughs> such uh-huh. great names.
3: That's so
4: cute.
2: <laughs> and um, and usually I'll, I'll I'll have my breakfast. I'll make my uh-huh. protein shake first, and yeah. then my husband. We're, we both went on Nutrisystem because I wanted to support him. <clears throat> so we're both on that. So I'll make like you know their the waffles or their egg the omelet whatever they have you know in the morning. Yeah, and um, but I make my protein shake every morning. Yeah. You know, literally. And, and it's so like, I'll... it's
1: a huge container. It has like all the super. Oh, that's foods, right. You like, saw it. the, the berries. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh-huh.
2: Right. Yeah. So I'll make that and then I'll head over. I think I told you I drive that Starskin Hutch car. Yeah. <clears throat> so I drive to the garage where that's parked. Go get that. Wipe it down because I'm anal. <laughs> and then I'll drive to the gym, work out for an hour or so, do my cardio. And then I'll head to the office and take a shower and clean up. And then I'm in my office, usually about 1230, something like that.
1: So you get into one, so you get into one car from home to your garage where yeah. you get like your, you know, pimp your car. cool, your cool pimp <laughs> car
2: and then you go to the office. I got to be cute, girl. Yes. <laughs> but why not
1: just have it at home?
2: Because we don't, we, we had, to, we moved, we sold our house a while ago uh-huh. and so we don't have that space that we had before. You okay. know, and it's a big car. It can't just fit in any in garage either. You know what I mean?
1: Does your start Starsky and Hutch car have a name? Like do you give it no names? It's just yeah. A Starsky car. Just a
2: Starsky. I well I it, it does, I have a thing, an emblem on it that says Huggy, because there was a character named Huggy Bear. If you oh, remember. right, right.
1: I just remember so, I remember Huggy Bear from i am get you sucker.
2: Right. Same dude. Uh huh. <clears throat> and Antonio um, Fargas. Correct, correct. Uh-huh. And uh, so I if anything it would be called Huggy. Okay. For sure.
1: All right, and so so you take Huggy to the office. You're in the office.
2: I get to the office. I I told you I set my clock for 45 minutes and say I'm writing whatever it is I'm writing. I start Uh, writing on that. You know, I usually, actually I get there and I still stretch. I don't know what it is. I just kind of clear my mind, you know, and I kind of stretch for like maybe two or three minutes and then I'll sit down and boom, I'll go into whatever it is I'm doing. But as I told you you guys the other day, Mm -hmm. I'll have the script I'm writing. I'll have the next outline for the next thing I'm doing and minimize a script I written years ago. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> so every time, every 45 minutes when my alarm goes off, it allows me to stop for 10 minutes, work out, because, you know, I got my weights and my bench and stuff in there. but right. And I do it because I'm about to move to the outline now. And the outline might be a whole different genre or style or whatever. So now I put on music for that. So I, while I'm working out, I'm getting in the new headspace, you know. <laughs> And is this all right.
1: like pre-programmed? Like are you programming this music the night before or no, are no. you no. Uh-huh.
2: I just have, you know, we all have so many different, you know, albums and um, you know, I make I make soundtracks and so so I just might put on the soundtrack for the 80s or soundtrack for the 90s, whatever yeah. it is. You know, it just makes it simple. <clears throat> um, and as I told you, like I'm I'm been working on a lot of projects that are historical stuff. Mm-hmm. So I might even be playing minstrel music, you know, it might be all you know James Brown, it might be all you know the blues, it might be you know Ella James, you know, whoever it is, well, just to keep me in that space, you know right and so i'll I'll hit the when my alarm goes off, I work out for ten minutes, I switch the music, I work out for ten minutes, and then I sit down for 45 minutes to work on the next thing. yeah, and then for the alarm goes off, <clears throat> and then I switch, I play, oh, it might be eighties music, and now I'm work out for ten minutes. And it just, it's kind of like, I always tell everybody, there's something to change in your environment,
3: mm-hmm.
2: right? So for me, it's like, I don't necessarily get up and walk out of my office and go in. And once I'm inside, I'm pretty much inside except for going to the bathroom, you yeah. know? <clears throat> and that's just me, how I work. And so, then I found for me, you'll find a pocket of time <clears throat> when you get the most work done. I get the most work done between 12 and six, seven o'clock yeah. at night, you know what I mean? For me. So that's my hotspot. So that's what I'll, I'll this, this will go on seven days a week. I, I do the exact same thing. And literally by 5, 5.30, I'm looking at my clock going, okay, I got about 20 more minutes in me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. And I'll text my husband like, hey, I'm on my way. You know, I'll get dinner ready when I get home, whatever it is. And I'll just wow.
1: Okay. And so, so, um, work-life balance, mm-hmm. you, uh, so you have this routine seven days a week from twelve to six you are working, uh, but then at the same time you're 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 doing like some workouts you're also you're working on several projects at once like you're doing some some outlining then you're doing some writing then you're doing some rewriting. So what's it like when you get home? Do you shut all of that off especially like if you're working on a show mm-hmm. and people are emailing you after hours? How do you shut off and just focus on time with malibu venice and your husband
2: <laughs> it's hard so what i've been doing because i'm in production now we're in yeah. post-production on two projects <clears throat> so my phone is ringing a lot I Matter mean, of fact literally i just looked up and saw a text from the production meeting i'm about to have it at, at 12 yeah <laughs> and so um yeah um i usually get home you know six-ish or whatever and I come in, I kiss my husband, and I, I say, hey, I'm going to go in the living room for a minute. And I'll yeah. sit down, I'll turn on the TV, and I'll just watch like American Idol or something to get my brain not thinking. A reality turn, show, yeah. If I turn on power or something else, I'm like, what page are we on? What happened? Why did they do this? You know what I mean? I yeah. can't help it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, but if I turn on some reality show that's, you know, some, you know, makeover show, you know, something about, you know... Uh, moving to Hawaii, whatever it is. I'm like, okay, I could just chill for about 30 minutes, you know. And then I always doze off at some point for about 10 minutes, you yeah. know. And then um, and then I'll wake up and <clears throat> finish the show I was watching. And then at the same time, my dog will not let me sit still. So she's always, here's the ball, throw it, throw it, throw it, yeah, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm playing with her a little bit.
4: Uh-huh. And
2: then um, then I'll get up and make dinner. We usually try to eat about seven-ish because I stopped eating at nine uh-huh you know because I'm on that <clears throat> losing my voice sorry I'm on that intermittent fa- intermittent intermittent fasting thing. yes I've been on that for like two years or something like that yeah and so I stopped eating anything about nine if I'm really hungry I'll have like just like a handful of nuts or something
1: okay you know? so nine o'clock food food is kitchen is closed yes and you are um you're and then you're you know you're up for a little bit then you go to sleep and and then you wake up and then at nine. Either. You wake up at around nine and then you same have your thing all over same again. same yeah. thing all over again.
2: Yep. And we go to bed about twelve thirty one. Something which usually kinda late. Yeah. Oh wow. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. Okay. Um so yeah, I I'm I'm fast asleep by then. I hope. Yep. Sometimes That's I, why wake I get up, up. so late. Yeah. Yeah. I usually yeah, I I'll 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 go to sleep around like 10 and then I'll wake up. I'll wake up at different times over the night. So I I'm still working on that. But um but can we talk about like your <laughs> early years? So sure. you know, when I think about Deadly Class, for instance, um, a show that you worked on, it's mm-hmm. a coming of age story set against the backdrop of of 1980s count counterculture. I think about your origin story about being a punk, rude boy. Um, how has your musical past influenced your present now as a um, you know, filmmaker, screenwriter?
2: Um, it's still everything of who I am. You uh-huh. know? As you know, they always say like when whoever you are as a teenager is kind of going to be who you are when you grow up. <clears throat> in a sense of like the music you love when you're a teenager is the music you still love. You know, yeah.
1: Yeah. Today. Yeah. I still listen to that stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. So
2: for me, like, you know, the specials and madness and, you know, the English uh, beat, all those things, that's still me. Yeah. You know? I, so when I'm in my car, I'm still blasting my Reagan, and my ska music and whatever. And if I play hip hop, it's like the 80s. It's like Grandmaster Flash and Slick Rick that I don't want to hear no new shit.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. No. So I'm still. And yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. It just it doesn't even sound like what uh, old school hip hop sounded like. Right, like Doja Cat does not sound like. MC yeah, I would. Like... You
2: would never hear that in my car. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. And uh-huh. Not that I don't don't you know respect or like the amigos. Yeah, of or course. Of those, those groups like that, but for me, it's just more so. Um, um, it, it's also the car that I'm driving. Uh huh. You know, <clears throat> it is a it is a a standout car, and everybody sees it. And you know, I always tell my husband like, um, whenever it's in the shop, I'm miserable. And he's like, why? And I'm like, because when I drive that car, my life is hard. Now, what I told you sounded really like as if, oh, you have such a great life. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But within that, there's a lot happening, uh-huh. you know, and it's a lot of pressure, you know. And like I said, I got to pay the bills. I have, I have assistance. I have, you know, all this stuff. So there's a lot going on. Yeah. So for me, um, when I'm in my car and I'm blasting, you know, Bob Marley or whatever it is. Yeah. Every stoplight I get to, somebody gives me a thumbs up. Somebody's like, hey, starskin huts, whatever, it just lights me up and makes me feel great.
4: Yeah. You know what I
2: mean? It's for a boost. That, yeah, for that, for that moment of time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so that's why you asked me, why do I go get my that's why I go get my car. And I also have in my garage downstairs, mm-hmm. you know, we have five, you know, vintage scooters. So, sometime I'll just decide I'm going to ride one of my cool scooters. So, uh-huh. I'll go downstairs and I might dress a little bit different though when I do that because I'm not getting on my scooter looking all normal. <laughs> you Were know you wearing
1: like a, like a biker, like a kind of leather? Oh, no, no, no,
2: no, no. It's much more 60s style, like more rude boy. Okay. Yeah. The problem like- is I'm usually heading to the gym, so I can't put on my Doc Martens and shit, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'll, I'll trim the style down just a little bit, and maybe I'll wear my flight jacket with my specials patch or, you know, something like that. Oh, you know wow. I mean?
1: Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. So your scooter, it's like a Vespa or something? Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. Vespers and Lambrettas. I have five of them.
1: Wow. And, <clears throat> I've always yeah, wanted a Vespa.
2: Yeah, they're all what we call modded out with lights yeah. and, and crash bars and all styled and painted beautifully and, you know... Personal license plates and stuff, and you know, wow,
1: what is what does is your, your say? What does your license plate say?
2: Um, say, one of them it? says Hill Dog, of nice, course, my name. your
1: production, production <clears throat> company. Another uh-huh. one
2: is it says Hill Mod, uh huh, you know. Um, and I was thinking about I have some other ones that I never quite put on yet. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of them is Sky Boy 2 or something, or somebody had one, yeah. <laughs> you know, like little things like that.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's so fun. Um, so, was there someone like in in your early years when you arrived to Hollywood? And you're you've you've been an actor. You were an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you were in New York for a time. You you no. were taking classes with Billy Porter. Yeah, no, that was, was in LA. Was, I guess
2: that was in LA. Was oh, Paris okay.
1: Paris. So so you were okay so you've been in LA was there someone that welcomed you into the industry like um you know someone i i you know i that i would say that welcomed me was like Amy Aniobi that that's somebody who who was very welcoming to to a lot of us so like like who helped you in building your network obviously you did but like was there a, you know also someone else
3: who hmm. helped
2: you I haven't thought about this in a long time Mm-hmm. cuz I'm I'm not one of the people who moved to LA and didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, remember I can I grew up pretty much in San Francisco. Yeah. And so a lot of my friends had already moved here who decided they wanted to come to LA to make it, you know. Yeah. And so um I did know a good 10 to 20 people before I moved here. Oh, you wow. know, so there wasn't like I didn't have any network. They just were a little more ahead of the game because they were here and you know, business works a little differently here than it does in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You know, I was at the top of the totem pole there. You know, yeah. in San Francisco. Everybody knew who I was. <clears throat> I could walk in the club and get in free. I could, you know, whatever. And so I had to come here and wait in line. I was like, what? Wait in line? <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I'm not right. gonna, I'm not I'm not going to Mickey's. I'm good. <laughs> you know what I mean?
4: And yeah. So
2: um um yeah, so my network was like uh, I don't know if you know the actor Ren, Ren T. Brown. Um, No. He's from way back. Been in a bunch of stuff. Um, Yeah. He's he's one of my like big brothers who really inspired me to come here and you know do what I should do. Um, and uh, people like that. Um, Yeah. There was my friend Greg Allen Johnson who passed away about five years ago.
4: I'm sorry.
2: This is the first like when I moved to LA, I moved into his um, spare room, and he was always hanging out downstairs with his girlfriend. So I lived there for maybe three or four months in his place, right off of Rossmore. Oh wow! And um, and I ended up getting my first place on the east side, over by Normandy, in like second, like in the oh, wow. in the bar- barrio.
4: Yes, <laughs> you know yeah, I mean?
2: yeah, it was right there down Essayville. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I would roll into my driveway, and you know those those one of those older buildings where you could pull in. And yeah. you could park, and you could just go in the elevator and go right up into your space. So I never really walked outside. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, <clears throat> and I was there year, year. Well, it wasn't that. It just wasn't safe. Yep. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I did that for a while. Um, and then I finally moved to Hollywood, um, maybe about a year or two later. Yeah. And uh, I had a place on Orange Street right up, right above, between Sunset and Franklin. I'm oh, sorry, between Hollywood and Franklin.
4: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah not it was too a far from. Cool, like,
2: cool building. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I had that place for about ten, ten, fifteen years. Oh wow. Yeah.
1: And is is that around the time you met your husband?
2: Yeah, I met him, in – so I moved here in '96. I met him in 2001, at the end of end of 2001. Okay. Yeah, we're going on 22 years in in October.
1: Congrats! It's amazing.
3: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Was he does does he share your 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 zest for for life like you know you both have do you you both share the scooters or or is uh, there are a couple scooters that are his does he he share a love of cars and and, and oh, yeah. luxury
2: yeah I got him I got him into the scene
1: in like two thousand
2: one or two I started a big scooter club uh-huh. so we all were like very mod rude boy style. So everybody was in suits. Everybody was very, you know, 60s style. The girls had, you know, the cool haircuts and everything. Nice. And it nice. started with just, and it started with just me and one other bloke, my friend Glenn. Uh-huh. And his wife, um, who was his girlfriend at the time, became his wife. And then Scott started coming. He would just be on the back of my scooter. Nice. And we would go, we would go to scooter rallies and stuff like that. And, you know, we'd always ride together, like right with each other. And eventually it went from two to four to six to 12 to 40 to 60, you know, and it became this big thing. Right. And um, we were called the Reflection Scooter Society. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And and both of us come from the old, you know, mod, rude boy style. So we wanted to make sure we had a group of guys. Even if you brought a new plastic scooter, which we personally hate. Yes. We knew eventually you'd want to get an old one. And that's what always happened.
4: You know, a year uh, or so.
2: Go ahead. An old one
1: means, like, chrome or something.
2: Yeah, yeah, the vintage metal, you know, uh-huh. metal and chrome, sure. Yeah. <clears throat> and eventually you'd start putting on suits and listening to the specials, too, you know. And yeah. that's exactly what happened. You know, that's how it went from just the two of us to four of us to 60 of us. You know, and you'd see this mountain of scooters, you know. Every Friday night we met at a place in Hollywood, the Bourgeois Pig, for years. Oh, nice. You know?
1: Yeah, I know that. Um, Yeah, that's right by UCB Franklin. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's and still there.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um okay, so for writing uh, I want to know what <clears throat> your cuz your your office is very comfortable and you have um Exercise equipment, because you were talking about like your forty-five minute timer, and then and and as you um, as you're working, you're also like working out and doing other things. But what else are your like ideal writing conditions? Because I know that like when you're working on like a really big project, like a rewrite, or you're you're trying to flesh out like a whole script, you'll go out to Ventura for writing retreats. So mm-hmm. like, what 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 are ideal situations for you?
2: You mean when I write?
1: Yeah, like when you like how does the room have to be? Like does the room oh, have to be it. kind of kind of dark? Does the room have to be like a, of a certain temperature? it has, temperature? To, be, it like, has to
2: be bright. Okay. As you see when you walk in my office it's all yes. lit up and bright. Yeah. <clears throat> you know my windows are open, you know, usually my doors open, you uh-huh. know, like I said I'm open for business. Mm-hmm. You know. So even when I go to Ventura or anywhere else, I set up the room so I come into my suite and I moved the desk over by the sliding doors to the balcony mm-hmm. so that I could look out at the view of the beach. Nice. You know what I mean? <clears throat> like little things like that. So I want to enjoy the view. Like I don't know how people write in the dark. I don't know how people write with no music playing. I don't get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I get that you some people are, are disturbed by the the vocals in music, but you hearing some sort of music at some sort of ta- tone is important, for me at least. Yeah. Um, and like, I'm literally the type of person because I grew up in San Francisco <clears throat> where I was writing, I was writing poetry and stuff like that, spoken word and, you know, metaphors and all that shit. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I could, I could sit in the middle of a coffee shop and write. So before I ever had offices or anything, I would sit at the coffee shop in West Hollywood, several are different ones. There's a lot of writers hang out at. Yeah. There's a couple of like gay mafia places that I hang out at. <clears throat> we call it that because that's where all the famous gay people hang out. at.
1: Okay, where, so, where what are they? What are the names? I can't tell you, man. Oh no!
2: Oh, <laughs> that's called the mafia. Did not say that. I'm not family.
4: <laughs> oh no. Okay.
2: And um, so I'd hang out at places like that, and you uh-huh. would see you would see the the people that are the big gay writers. Yes. Hanging out there, you know, yes. At the time, and um. um where was I going with that? Uh, oh, and so because of that, the noise and uh-huh. the atmosphere, there's something about the creativity for me, mm-hmm. which which even though I'm sitting in my office and I'm sitting there by myself, the mm-hmm. stimulation is what I need. Yeah. Right? Because it used to be before, people, people would ask me, how could you write? I was like, I could literally pull out my computer and start writing a script sitting in a club. Because you the inspiration and uh-huh. I'm looking around going, what would they be? Oh, they, see that woman just walked in that she would be the perfect. And I describe her like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, i see the way they drink in that. I, I bet that character would be a trip to be a, a villain, you know, yeah. whatever it is. So I'm inspired by the things that I see, you know. So when I'm in my room and I'm only playing music, the music does it for me now. Yeah. You know, the words and the stories that are told take me on the journey, too.
1: It feels that, that, like, kind of people watching.
2: Exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, How do you celebrate a win?
2: I think I was telling you guys, um, you know, I don't drink or smoke or do drugs or anything. And so Mm -hmm. every time I finish a script or a project or something, my my brain tells me, oh, you should have a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But my mind tells me, (laughs) you know, I should have a hot chocolate from coffee bean, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, uh-huh. you know, some sparkling apple cider or something, you know. And so I think you should – or actually there's one other thing I do do is I'll – my favorite donut place is called SK Donuts. Yes. <clears throat> and um, I'll go there and get maybe two, you know, chocolate glazed donuts or something.
1: Ooh. But this is like – yeah, for me, like I, I have a donut and then I have two – I. I'm I'm like, I'll I'll justify it. Like, oh, I didn't finish what I need to do. I, I just eat it. But like for you, like it's actually a treat. Like, you yeah. it's not something that you have every day. This is something oh, no, that I you're wouldn't, treating I'll go yourself to. Two
2: two or three times a year. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, that's yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would go like a week, like two, three times a week. So that's why I try not to go. But um, but okay, so this is great. So that's how you celebrate a win. So when you start a business, you're investing in yourself. It can leak into a person's um, mentality, their approach towards life. So I want to talk to you about all of that because um, you're somebody who takes really good care of themselves, um, but then you also invest in yourself as like a brand. So yeah. you said that it was about 10 years ago that you realized that you had to put money into yourself. So what was that aha moment for you where you realized like, I, I need to do this. I'm a businessman.
2: I think I've always kind of had it. Um, cause it used to be, I think I was telling you guys before, you know, in that first year or two of my starting to be a, a writer, all those thousands of scripts I read, mm-hmm. you know, just in two years, whereas usually most people takes them a lifetime. They get through 300, yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's it, it, the thing that people, I didn't say that a lot of people don't know. I didn't graduate from high school. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't, I got my GED. Mm -hmm. Um, I never went to college. I've been in some writing programs at colleges,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: um, stuff like that. But so because of that, I've always felt super insecure about how smart I am. Yeah. Right. I realize I'm very wise. Yeah. You know, and it's only, you know, with experience and maturity you should be, Yeah. you know? Um, but for me, Mm -hmm. um, I -hmm. was always really insecure about it. So what it made me do was work harder than others. So, whereas all of my friends went to some college, got a degree, went to Harvard, went to Howard, went somewhere, every single one of them. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> and I didn't do any of that. So I was like, how am I going to be better? How am I going to stand out? I had like, to read more scripts than you. I got to take more classes than you. I got to read more books than you. I got it. So I've always had that thing that you've you know? got to
1: work twice as harder. Correct. Even mm-hmm. even in
2: my Mod Rude Boy days in my heyday, I still had to be dressed better than you. Yeah. I still had to have the better scooter than you. I still had, you know, in my breakdance, you know, gang days, I had to look better than you on the street. Uh-huh. I had to be, you know what I mean? And so it's just, you know, I've always had that um, that uh, uh, hustle, like the hustle muscle is what I call it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's always been there. So, um, I I think what I was talking about was the turn about 10 years ago when things shifted for me mm-hmm. was when I had a meeting with a producer and we were talking and um, somehow he started talking about punk rock music and I lit up. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, whoa, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you know who you're talking to. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we started going in about bad brains and all this stuff and he was like, holy shit. And he realized who I was. And of course I got that job. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I didn't used to tell anybody about that part of my life. I didn't tell anybody about growing up in the hood and all those other things and things I experienced. I was skipping that because I was trying to give you another impression of me. You know, Mm -hmm. I was telling you being a black man, you never want to be the scary guy. Yeah. Right. So I was trying to give off another persona of myself.
1: You were trying to be like gentle or something. (laughs) So I'm
2: not I don't even remember what it was now, it's been so long. Yeah, yeah. I've been being myself for so long now. Right. <laughs> you know, that and you also have to remember that I'm, I'm coming from being an actor
3: mm-hmm. for
2: since I was twelve years old. Yeah. Until the time I was thirty two or three or something. Mm-hmm. You know? And it 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 so in my mind I couldn't be this very out person. You know? So I had to learn how to shift that mindset. Mm-hmm. And I remember how much easier it was when I would tell people that I was gay or that I had a boyfriend that I had a husband, whatever that became. When I was on this side, it was so much easier to talk about. Yeah. Because there was no, oh, are you worried about being gay as an actor? There was none of that ever anymore. Now it's like, oh, you're just a writer and you're gay. Yeah. You know what I mean? So little things like that started happening around that time where I realized it was okay to talk about the fact that I was gay, Mm -hmm. you know, it was okay to talk about where I grew up and how I grew up and why I write the things I write. Yeah. That's what sold me. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't understand that until I had this conversation that got me a job and I was like, oh, I need to embrace that. And he kept telling me, you need to tell that story. You need to tell that story. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's why, you know, when you heard me yesterday or the other day when we did uh, my show. Yeah. and, And I would talk to you guys and I would like, tell that part. Tell that part. Tell that part. Right. You know, because that's the thing that made me lean in.
1: Yeah. And that's what what set you apart from other writers and that made you like a special brand. Correct. Mm -hmm.
2: Every time I talk to a writer, writers writers come in and they want to pitch me stuff all the time. And I've heard probably several hundred pitches. And I can't tell you how many times writers come in and... They'll tell me a pitch on a project, and I can immediately tell they have no tie into it whatsoever. And yeah. I'll say, What was your tie into that? Oh, I thought it was a cool idea to do. Or on the on the on the on the off chance, they'll say, Oh, well, you know, when I was younger, you know, there was this cool thing that happened between my mother and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, why didn't you start there? Yeah. You know what I mean? Why did you leave that out? I didn't think you wanted to know. Why would you think I wouldn't want to know the origins of where it came from?
1: Yeah, that's the thing. I think it's hard for people and and also for me in a lot of ways is that like um, the things that we find maybe embarrassing or we find um, that uh, might make us seem a little weak, we don't want to share because it makes us vulnerable. But that's the thing that actually gets you the job, the writing job.
2: That, and that's the difference between like uh, uh, emerging writers when they finally get on the show
1: mm-hmm. or even
2: if, <clears throat> even if you have a, a writer's group, the more advanced writers will be the ones who talk the most. Yeah. Right? They'll be the ones who tell you about what happened at home and, you know, stories about shit that happened to them in the past because they've already understood there's no need to hide this shit. Yeah. You know? And what happens, most younger writers are worried somebody's going to steal their idea,
3: mm-hmm. you know?
2: But- Here's my thing. For example, <clears throat> my producing partner and I will get a meeting. We'll go and, and um, we'll soft pitch something. Yeah. Right? And she'll just throw out, like, a premise. And I'll add on a little bit more to make it even more clear of the tie-in to us and all that other stuff. And when we're done, she'll be like, why did you tell them all that? Now they know our whole story. I said, exactly. Right? And, and, and I'd be like – and she'd be like, but why? And I said, because – <clears throat> here's the difference between me and other writers. I'm not worried about you writing me. Yeah. It's ex- execution. Right. I can tell you the whole story. You won't be able to execute it the way I'm going to do it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because you you have a specific perspective it's than somebody different. else. Yeah. You're
2: going to come in the movie different. You're going to start with characters different. Everything's going to be different.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You know,
2: even if I painted the picture for you, still won't write it with the prose the way I'm going to do it. You won't have the style the way I'm going to. So for me, I'm never worried about that. Other writers are worried about that. Yeah. Because they haven't gotten to the point where they're not, where they've seen and read so many other things where they know they can grab and make it pop in their own way.
3: Mm-hmm. But
2: when you don't know, all you know is what you know. And so it, to you, it looks like it's going to be stolen. Right. You know what I mean? It'll never be stolen because only you could do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you it takes time to learn those things.
1: Right, and yeah, and the confidence, and uh, so so much. The but yeah, it's all about it's all about just um, just being open, right, and yep. just just taking taking that risk. So, what's the bravest industry risk that you've ever taken that you're most proud of? Hmm,
2: the bravest. Well, there's probably a couple.
1: And maybe one that like, you know, somebody was like, Oh, why'd you do that? And but it actually proved uh successful.
2: Well, I mean, <clears throat> my reps didn't want me to take the 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 deadly class show at first. A lot yeah. of people don't know. I don't I don't talk about that usually. Yeah. It's
1: like a cult classic.
2: Yeah, and, and mainly it's because I'm already a executive producer doing the stuff that I'm doing. And yeah. I took that job as a you know low level writer. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, and my whole reasoning was, look, if we get even one season, what it'll do for me is allow me to use the fact that I was on a show so that people could stop going, well, yeah, we know you've produced these other, you know, digital series and you've worked on a go 90 network and whatever is it co-EP on this show, but yeah. you know, it's not a network show, right? That's just how Hollywood is period. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> they don't realize the only thing that separates those things is money and You're the right. turnover, <laughs> you know? That's it. It's we're doing mm-hmm. the exact same thing you were doing, just a little bit less. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like the difference between doing a BET show and a HBO show. It's Still that, the same shit. Y'all yes. just have more money. Yes, you know what I mean? that's right. And so, and so, it's looked down on that it's not good enough, and that you are not uh, at a level yet mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the 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 truth of of it all is. Not every show will allow you to get to a point where you're producing shows and doing all that. Because I told you, even on the show I was on, there were some upper-level writers who were knew hardly nothing of stuff that I knew. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Especially when it came to production. Mm-hmm. And I was like, because they were on shows, then they worked their way up on, but they hadn't really went to set or got to do post or any of those things. Where I'd done all of that because I had to create them, you know? Yeah. And so... Um, where I was going with all that is this. So they didn't want me to do that, but I took the thing because I was like, it's going to open the doors for me to now have conversation with all these producers that I know. Yeah. Once they know you've been on a show, you know, a network show, whether it's, you know, sci-fi or whatever channel it is. Right. <clears throat> now they think, oh, you've been in a writer's room. Like, I've been in other writer's rooms. I've ran writer's rooms. Yeah, I exactly. ran that writer's room on that show. You know, whatever. Yeah. And so... But they don't see it because it doesn't say network.
4: Yeah, you know what I mean.
2: And so I was like, I just needed that one thing behind me. So what it, it here's the good the good thing it did it did open up the doors for me to develop all these shows for these big producers, mm-hmm. right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: What it didn't do was none of those projects came to fruition. So I produced, yeah. I, I developed all these probably eight shows in the last four years. Wow, you know for all these for all these big people, and none wow. of them, none of them have done anything. Yeah. Two of them are still sitting, like, could it happen, right?
1: Yeah, and that happens and, mm-hmm. so often,
4: yeah.
2: For sure. Uh-huh. <clears throat> but that's the risk that happens in development. Right. You know, we, that's why they call it development hell. Yeah. You know, I have a show, this reggae show that I want to do so bad um, with a huge producer mm-hmm. that I co-created. It, it, it could be a huge hit. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, we're waiting on this producer to, you know, they're just busy right <laughs> you know what i mean it's it's been 3 years
1: wow there was a there was a statistic recently i don't know the numbers exactly but like of the let's say 200 shows that are pitched to networks and to um to uh production companies only like i don't know 4% maybe less actually get um get produced and then of that four percent only like another very small percentage actually makes it onto tv like it's like it was just a very like small number i don't remember exactly what but like um there's so many shows out there there's so many writers out there pitching ideas selling scripts but then only a few of them actually make it onto the tv
2: it's true. It's true. Yeah.
1: And, and then of that, they you know some survive and and move on to you know yeah. other seasons.
2: Yeah, it's true, and mm-hmm. it's it's um it's one of those things where um, um this this industry is you have to remember the, even though we have I think four or five hundred episode um, um TV series on the air right now, it's yeah. Still, it's still one of those things where it's so. <clears throat> hard and a special thing to actually get one to land yeah you know like i still every year many of my friends have pilots to go you know they go to pilot Mm -hmm. but it's not every year that they actually sell or they actually make it to the screen and they get and they get the um and they get the green light for the series right you know that's that's the hard part getting a getting a selling a pitch selling a selling a show i don't Mm want to say it's not difficult it's still difficult but it's 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 a much more you will speak to more writers who have done it than mm-hmm. those who have had the actual thing on the air. Yeah. As well you'll talk to more people who've had a some who've had a pilot done and yet still haven't made it to the actual air. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> it's just the odds game.
4: Yeah. You
1: know? Um there's a Haitian saying um uh, behind mountains are more mountains. Sure. So so yeah, it's it's not just uh, you might get over one one hill, but then there are several more um, right. in front of you. So I want to talk about the the origin of the rant room. So so also mm-hmm. like you know you are you're somebody that um, you you create you you open your own window, you you open the door for yourself, and yeah. I, I I'm inspired by that. That's that's part of the reason why I I started my podcast was that like I want to be able to talk to people. I don't have the backing of like <laughs> Team Coco or Earwolf, so I, I do it myself. And and mm-hmm. you you also are someone like that DIY, like you you do it yourself too. So like, what was the origin of the rant room? Um, because also like there are a lot of screenwriting podcasts out there, including you know Script Notes or Writer's mm-hmm. Panel. They're very on few- the p- on the page. On the page is paper great. Paper
2: paper team. Yeah, mm-hmm. paper
1: team. Paper team, I think, is no longer, but like, yeah, it that's But a, it's still there. It's, it's still there that. and it's great. But <laughs> like for you, um, I love it because you feature a lot of people of color. Like, um, right. one of my favorite interviews is with Leonard Chang. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh you've you've also interviewed for Third and Fairfax, you you interviewed Jordan Peel. Um, you've mm-hmm. interviewed so many people, but what was the origin story for Rant Room? Um, because you also like this. The, your Rant Room came out like years ago too. Like you, you've been doing this for a very long time. You've yeah, just recorded four hundred episodes.
2: Yeah. yeah, something like two thousand thirteen. So uh-huh. <clears throat> back in the day, around two thousand, I, I want to say two thousand seven or eight to like two thousand, I don't know, twelve or fourteen. Um, myself and Lisa, we were we were um, teaching at the organization Black Screenwriters. Yeah. And that was myself, um, Renee Rawls, um, Ron Covington, and Tracy Grant, who's on my show a lot too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> he's the, he's the EP on that new show, Lace. Mm-hmm. And um, so we would we would we would teach, and like I would say, here's how I got a script into Austin, mm-hmm. here or Sundance, or here's how I you know sold this this show to this producer, whatever. And I would break it down. I'd be like, here are the things I did wrong. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Here are the things that I did right. You know? Whereas most people are like, here's everything I did right. Yeah. And here's what you need to do.
4: Yeah. And I'm like,
2: here's what I did right. Here's where I did wrong.
1: Right. Because you, you're, you're, you, you're making yeah. yourself vulnerable, too. I uh-huh.
2: decided I was going to always be that guy mm-hmm. who always told you the 100 shit. Right?
3: Mm-hmm. Because
2: everybody's perspective and everybody's experience is going to be different. Mm-hmm. You know? Some people are going to have a perfect experience. Most of us are not. So I'm gonna tell you my shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So at first I was very hesitant on teaching. And what happened was somehow, you know, sometime you're just sitting there and you, you know, people are just having random conversations. I started talking about, you know, um, a production or something I was in, or you know, how I did whatever. And people were like, dude, you should you should teach that. And I was like, Me, I I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whatever. And I started realizing that. I was comparing myself to Lisa because Lisa is a teacher. Yeah. Lisa is actually one of the best teachers I've ever seen in my entire life. And Mm -hmm. I've seen Billy Ray and all those dudes talk. She will kill them. Yeah. Right. She is dope. Right. And so I was comparing myself to her. Mm -hmm. And what I had to realize was the experiences I have are what allow me to do it. I still was in my head of I never went to school. How am I going to teach? You know, I've only sold this one little thing, whatever the thing was. Right? Mm-hmm. Never feeling worthy. Instead of going, it doesn't mean you can't teach them what you know. Yeah. Right? So I started slowly, here's how I do my log lines. Here's how I do, you know, my outlines. Here's how I break down a script. Whatever. And I just started teaching those things like that. And then we started doing this thing called OBS on tour, Organization of Black Screenwriters. Mm-hmm. And well, what happened was, as you know, a brother, I've been pretty good on this show. I have a potty mouth. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> I try to be careful, but when I'm excited and happy, the bombs just come out. And that's okay.
1: That's all right. Uh huh. But you know, Uh
2: black folks, you know, no cut on anybody there. That's just black folks. You know, a lot of them go to church. They're like, "Oh, Hillary, can you watch your mouth?" You know, but I'm like, I can't even be. We're all writers. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're in a church. Yeah. And so that started becoming a little bit of a problem for me. So we would be sitting in the in the parking lot, me and Lisa and the whole other people who taught, and we would just be frustrated with the things we couldn't do or say.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: I and I, they were like, "What are you gonna do?" I was like, "I mean, people have approached me about doing a podcast one day. It's like one uh- day I'll, you know, one day I'll do some shit like that." And then my nephew had got on this network,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: his show was doing really well, called Kevin Hates Hip Hop, mm-hmm. and and he, I would, I told him what had happened. He was like, "Oh, well, I'll ask Jamie if you want to." Do your show on this thing, and I was like, "Well, let me." So I reached out to Lisa, took her to lunch, and we got her, got her some waffles or some shit, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> and and her um, up. And I was like, "Look, I want to do this thing. I want you to do it with me," you know. Uh-huh. And so she agreed, and we went on this network, and it was fine. The, the network was fine, and he yeah. was good. The problem was we'd be talking about stuff, and he would chime in with this, "I hate this, this word stuff." Yeah, you know what I mean. I'll drop it. If it's like a necessary moment, like yes. y'all know how we are. Like yes. I'll make a comment, but it's like every other word is like an N word and blah, 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 and blah. blah. And I was like, this ain't the show I want. I don't want right. it to be this ghetto. Yeah. You know, he's a nice dude, but I just didn't want that version of it. Right. Yeah. And so we did 10 episodes and then I was like, dude, I gotta, I gotta go. Mm-hmm. So my producing partner um, was like, Hey, I told her what happened. She's like, you need, you need to get your own shit. And she's like, what would it cost for you to get your own stuff? And I was like, well, I'd have to get the mics and the blah, blah, And I want to have at least four to six people in there. So I need to get the mics and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And she's like, well, how much are you going to cost? And I said, I probably need a good 1500 you know, whatever, to get what I want. So she's like, here's five. Wow. You know what I mean? Lisa. Yeah. No, no, my producing partner. Oh, producer, pa- Pamela. Okay, okay Pamela. Pamela. Yeah. Uh, who's still my producer partner. Yeah. <clears throat> and so she gave me that. So I was like, okay, I guess I had to go get the stuff. Wow. So I did. and. You know, the rest is kind of, well, first we were doing it at my friend Don's house because he was Mm -hmm. never home um, on Sundays because he would go to church and Mm -hmm. we would do it there. We did maybe, I don't know, maybe about eight of them or something there. And then eventually I got my office um, at Universal. I mean, not on the lot. Yeah. I've been there there seven years now.
1: And so were you, um, you you know, doing the the podcast and then, you at the same time you became part of WGA West and then they invited you onto their podcast like how did no. that how did that
2: um, happen too No I've been in, I've been in the guild for a long time
1: mm-hmm.
3: What
2: happened was um, they uh, they they decided they wanted to do a podcast so they came to me and were like hey we want to do a podcast Yeah and so I was like well here are the things that I would suggest you guys to do mm-hmm. <clears throat> So at first I thought they were going to do it with me but two of the other guys went off, and next thing I know, they were putting a podcast together. I was like, oh, I thought they needed a brother. I said, all right, well, good, for the, good luck for them, you know? Right. So they went off and started doing it, and I'd support them, and they'd support me and whatever. And then we ended up doing a whole panel on doing podcasts and stuff like that, and they brought me in to do to talk about how I use Mac, because they both were on something else, mm-hmm. you know, and how I use GarageBand and this and they use whatever. <clears throat> and so, um, so I did my whole section on that, and so eventually – Stuff started coming up, and, um, you know, of course, black, you know, uh, writers would come on, and they'd be like, hey, Hill, you think you want to, <laughs> and I
3: was like, yeah. you
2: gotta <laughs> just ask me. I was like, yeah, dude, of course, you know what I mean? And so, I, you know, and then, then I started doing, you know, my friends, you know, Barry Jenkins, and, you know, all yeah. like that. So it ended up just working out. So now, anytime there's almost anybody black, they're like, hey, do you want to, <laughs>
1: Yeah. Hill, <you're>, yeah.
2: <laughs> do you know this person? I was like, yeah, I know him, I know him. You know but me? you
1: also so, talk to, like, horror people, too. Oh, That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. You talked to a lot of a lot of other other people as well. But then um, on your show, one of my favorites, as I mentioned, was Leonard Chang. That was a great mm-hmm. interview. Um, he's a showrunner for Snowfall. Mm-hmm. Um, he talked about living in South L.A. He lives with a low overhead. Like he was very right. adamant about like n- living, not living beyond his means. And mm-hmm. so, and then you and Chris Darren. and he can afford um,
2: to. I can tell you, yes. Um, yeah, Five six years in a show, you doing all right? Yeah, he's doing he's doing
1: very well for himself. Um, yeah. He, he right has really good savings, but like um, you know, then there was talk about like Shane Black as somebody who who might have had too much success too soon. Um, I I learned a lot basically. So like I to have Shane on my show actually. Oh, that's awesome!
2: Yeah, we're on we're on a board of this uh, uh, thing called Script Hop. Okay, and we were we were talking in the DMs. Like, yo, did I want to have it? He's like, yeah, dude, I come on? So, we'll, we'll oh, that's on. awesome.
1: Yeah. So, okay, so of all the people you've interviewed, Barry Jenkins, Jordan mm-hmm. Peele, um, Dana Lynn Rodriguez, who uh, famously from uh, Queen of the South and Ugly Betty, Akila Green, like all these people yeah. that you've you've talked to over the years, what are some major takeaways that you learned from chopping it up with them?
2: Here's the fun thing that I love the most about what we do. -hmm. Is I'm usually by the time I interview most people, I'm interviewing them either when they're there or when Mm -hmm. they're on the way there. Yeah. You know, which is which is what I'm all about. How. Right? And so what I the thing that I'm always tripping on is even you we were talking about Amy Aniobi the other day, yeah. Who's somebody I love, and you will see even as much success as she has, I bet somewhere there's something she wants to do that Hollywood is saying you still can't do. Right. That's the thing you learn. Yeah. No matter who you speak to and you think they have it perfect mm-hmm. and you think their life are, are excellent, they will tell you. You're like my boy Glenn is there. He's like still trying to get another show. <laughs> you know what yeah. I
1: mean? It's like everything. And he worked so- on The Shield.
2: He worked on The Shield yeah. and The Walking Dead and. Um, um, God, so many other Yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Head. Famous. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Big, big, big. Uh-huh. Um, and so, um, but what I get excited about is knowing I'm not the only one. Yes. And that it never stops. That's the key you, that you learn, you know, it, 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 it never, ever stops. And the more you see that, the more you, you, you won't just sit back and celebrate and just enjoy all the things you're doing. You're, you're always fighting. Yeah, because you're only as good as that last thing. Wow. You know? Yes. And and it's true. And I know Amy knows this, which is why she made sure when that show ended, she got her big deal so mm-hmm. that she could move into other stuff. Because that show could end, and you could never work again. That's how Hollywood is.
1: Yeah, you got to keep it moving. You know what I
2: mean? <clears throat> you have to be working on the next thing, and that's why you'll. It's, Chris and I talk about this on the show sometimes when, you know, we talk about like a lot of these white directors will write you know, we'll direct some movie that was a flop and, you know, turns out they still have a huge career.
3: Right. Yeah.
2: And partly is because they made the movie it's in post-production for all this time. Well, their agents were smart enough to get them the next thing in line. Right. Right. Not saying that black directors don't have that, but sometimes when it's our first thing, we stay with it and we make sure we go all the way till it ends and we don't go anywhere else. And we don't want to finish until we finish this movie. Right. That's the problem. Whereas they're like, oh, no, I trust you. Go ahead. I'm going to go over here and start working, prepping this other movie. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's some of the differences that you start to learn. Yeah. You know what I mean? You got to be moving on to the next thing once you set it up. You Mm got to use it as ammunition, which is why I'm always telling writers, I know you get 90% of your own jobs. You're still smart to give it to your agents, your manager, whoever, because they now have the ammunition to go, oh. He just sold the show to such and such. Oh, she just worked on this thing and developing the show for this person. Now when I'm on the phone, I can go, yes, we have a client who just blah blah they're gonna use it because you just gave them some fucking money. Yes. They're not gonna not use it because you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. They're gonna you need they need ammunition constantly. Yes. So for me it's worth, even though it hurts, you know, even though you got the job because a friend referred you, it hurts. But the agents look at you differently. You know, you wanna know how you get on their list and become important to them? Those are some of the ways. Yeah. You know.
1: Just always, always be be out there hustling. Use your hustle muscle. Yep. Gotta flex that muscle. So <clears throat> okay. Um, I wanna play a game with you before I let you go. Okay. It's a very dumb game. Are you oh, are boy. you okay with this? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> BuzzFeed quiz, smash or pass? I'm dying to know which of these 15 celebrity crushes you would smash or pass. Oh, boy. (laughs) Harry Styles. Pass. Pass? Okay, me too. I think he's boring. I I don't like little boys. (laughs) That's the problem. So I'm
2: going to be passing on a lot of these people. Yeah,
1: yeah, me too. Kim Kardashian. Pass. Yeah, pass. (laughs) 67% pass. Nick Jonas. He's cute. Pass in
2: ten years. In ten years, man.
1: <laughs> Taylor Swift. I didn't make up this list. Taylor uh. Swift. Pass. <laughs>
2: yes, and a gay dude a bunch of questions.
1: Fifty-four percent <laughs> pass. Michael B. Jordan. Smash. Pass. pass. Too young for me. Really, Michael B. Jordan's like forty. And. Wow. Okay, so pass. Oh my god. Thirty-five percent pass on Michael B. Jordan. Rihanna.
2: Actually, Smash.
1: Yes, of course. That's a funny
2: thing. Yes. There's something 60, about her.
1: Yeah, of course. Sixty three percent say smash. Rami Malik from uh, Mr. Robot pass <laughs> I say pass too. Do. He doesn't do pass. it for me. Um yeah. Sixty six percent say pass. Miley Cyrus. Pass. <laughs> 67% pass. I would smash. She looks um fun. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Will Smith. Pass. Pass me too. 84% pass. Lizzo. Pass. Pass. Oh, I would smash. She's cute. Um 71% pass. John Legend. Pass. <laughs> me too. He's boring. even though he's a, he is a producer and, um, I don't know. 81% uh, pass Megan Fox pass pass. me too. Uh, 52% say smash, uh, 48% say pass. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Brendan Uri, he's from panic at the disco. He's a solo artist now singer pass pass. Yeah, me too. Kind of boring. 79% say pass. And finally, Ariana Grande.
2: Definitely pass. And As I don't mean that in the negative. But she's just such a little tiny little
1: yeah, negative. she's too young. Yeah, she's young looking too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have
2: one out of 15. <laughs> yeah.
1: So yeah, 51%. So you like that like older older types, like over 50, like seasoned uh gravitas. Yeah.
2: Salt and pepper hair. Salt and <laughs> pepper hair. I want a man. I want a boy.
1: Idris, like Idris Elba. No, no. No, um, no. like, uh, like Tom. I used Zellig? to say
2: this. Yes. Uh-huh. Well, the younger Tom Selleck. Uh huh. You know, like Tom 15, fifteen, twenty years ago. Yes. Okay. You
1: know, like friends, friends time. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Wait, you said you used to tell friends what?
2: Oh, I said you can have Brad Pitt. Give me like George Clooney. You know.
1: 15 years ago. Nice. Yeah, I mean George Clooney's uh very handsome. Um yes. Nice. So this is amazing. Um, uh, I've learned so much from you. Thank you so much for doing this. No problem. Thank
2: you for having me. This it's is awesome.
1: Can I ask you one last question? What <clears throat> is making you happy these days? You just got the second booster. I I know that. I don't know if that's oh, making girl. you happy.
2: <laughs> I was out of it for a day and a half. Wow. You know, I'm just coming back. Yeah. Like I haven't been to the gym yet. I'm gonna to go today after I finish with you. Yeah. <clears throat> after after my production meeting. Right. Um, yeah. Um, what's making me happy today is like I told you. Um, I don't know if you heard the episode we did with Ben Watkins. Yeah. Like I said when I when I get in my car, you know, when I'm on my scooter, it just I, I, it takes it's nostalgia. Right. It takes me back to being 14, 15 years old. You know, we're all on our way to scoot to go see. Fishbone or something like it just takes me back to that day. So it just I light up from that. Mm -hmm. You know that that makes me happy. I'm doing some projects I'm happy about. Um, I hope the world will be happy about them too. Yeah, I mean, so
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Ticker sounds really cool too.
2: Yeah, ticker's gonna be fun. Yeah, we just did. We just we just shot some promos for it. So we're gonna come out with those in the next few weeks too. So that's That's awesome.
1: That's Mm -hmm. awesome. How can people find you?
2: You can find me on Twitter. You know, I say Twitter like I'm cool.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, at, tw- at, I was about to say at Twitter, at Hilliard Guess, Uh You can follow Screenwriters Rant Room at Screenwriters RR. Mm-hmm. Um, also on Instagram and um, uh, sometimes on Clubhouse about once every month or two. Uh-uh. <clears throat> uh, at so Hilliard chaotic. Guess. Yeah. I'll be on there next Monday. There's a TV show that um, I, I directed um, one of the episodes. Mm-hmm. Um they're coming up on their 10th year anniversary, I think. Yeah. Called The un- the the Unwritten Rules. Nice. Um, and um, so they asked me to host, choose me on Clubhouse next Monday at 3 o'clock. Okay. So I'm supposed to do that.
1: Yeah. yeah. So check out Hilliard. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. I'm Yummy Coco. Keep your lamplight trimmed and burning. Bye.